Entrepreneurs will save the world. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope called The Dose of Hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You will see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at addvalue2life.com slash dose. Addvalue2life.com slash dose. Just wanted to mention this episode was recorded earlier. And as our audience grows, we just wanted to share some of the value from our earlier episodes. I'm pretty excited about today's guest, Travis Chapel. Travis is the founder and CEO of Guestio, a new software company that connects high-level guests with high-level content creators. And he is the host of the top-rated show, Build Your Network. In addition to being featured in Entrepreneur, NASDAQ, Yahoo Finance, and ReadWrite, Travis has also been featured in Forbes as a top 10 podcast that will change your life alongside Joe Rogan, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, and others. I'm just excited to have Travis on the show today. Hey, Travis, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast with me today. I'm just looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So, you know, mostly we focus on entrepreneurship and, you know, the journey of, of being an entrepreneur. And when you started your entrepreneurial journey, you had some pretty big responsibilities already um, with a wife and a new mortgage. And so how did you, what was your focus when making that transition? Um, man, my focus was survival, <laughs> uh, to put it bluntly, to be honest, man, it was just kind of like, uh, I, I didn't at that point in my life, I, I didn't know exactly what I was doing. I was coming out of, out of a ministerial college with a degree and a double major in Bible and church ministries. And it's already pretty difficult to get a job with a degree in Bible and church ministries. But what made it more difficult is that my degree happened to also be unaccredited and, at that time in my life, I was realizing I didn't really want to be in ministry. That was just kind of like the path that was, you know, kind of chosen for me early on in, in life. And so I uh, was stuck really doing the only thing I knew how to do at the time, which was door to door sales, because in college I did door to door just to make extra money. And I figured like, you know, nobody would hire me out of, out of college, you know, um, in terms of like good jobs. So the alternative was like, well, what do I do? Go get a, a desk job for like 30, 40 K a year. Or, you know, do I work for myself, make my own hours, go door to door and sell, sell uh, products hundred percent commission. And so that's, that's kind of what I did to, to pay the bills during that time period. And uh, my main focus at that point was just trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Because after I did well with door to door, um, when I was like 22 or something, I made six figures for the first time ever. And it was full time, hundred percent commission, door to door sales. I had a team and stuff like that. And I recruited and trained them and, and managed them and stuff and added to my commissions and things. But at the end of that year, I was just kind of like, well, that was cool, but 
like if I keep doing this for another 10 years, this income is going to stay relatively similar. Like I might like best case scenario, if I'm running a big team and I'm a regional and stuff, I might be able to double my income right now if I work on this for the next 10 years. And I was just like, that's not the type of growth that I want. I want more exponential growth, not incremental growth. And uh, so at that point, I was just like, well, what do I do? You know, like I only know how to do door to door, which I don't want to do. I'm only qualified to do this Bible stuff, which I also don't want to do. So now what? You know what I mean? So I was kind of back against the wall looking for what I was going to do next. And that's when uh, podcasting kind of uh, came up for me because I was using podcasts as a vehicle to learn and discover more and, you know, take my first kind of plunge into personal development and self-development. And podcasting was a big tool for me. And so I, after listening to a bunch of podcasts, was just like, man, I, Maybe, maybe I should just do this, see how that goes. And, uh, you know, that led to doing something different, led to do something different, which now led to the the software startup that we have. <laughs> nice. So obviously, door-to-door sales, you understood the hustle. Um, and how did that hustle help you in transition to building the podcast? Yeah, man, the, uh, the, the skills that I learned in door-to-door, I think, were indispensable. You know, they uh, taught me they taught me how to go, you know, hunt for my food, so to speak, you know, like you, if you're a hundred percent commission door to door. You don't just get a paycheck for showing up to work, you know, like you have to go sell things. And that's very much the same thing in entrepreneurship. And that's why I think a lot of people, especially in tech, um, never make it to like raising capital or, uh, making income because like they might have a good idea, but selling that idea is a completely different thing than having the idea. And so I think with door to door that having that background, it really helped me to be able to transition into doing online business stuff full time faster than I think I would have been able to if I didn't have that experience because it was a skill set that I already had learned in a different context. And so when I started selling stuff online, it just kind of applied to that. So instead of me doing complicated sales funnels and webinars and trying to learn new skills at the beginning, all I was doing was trying to get people on the phone because I knew if I could get them on the phone that I could do a good enough job with uh, selling and making some money to help me be able to transition to doing it full time and being able to give it my full focus. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's still to this day, extremely helpful, not even just sales ability, but, um, overcoming rejection is something that every entrepreneur faces and every successful entrepreneur has that as like a common denominator for their success. I would think is they've learned through some way to overcome rejection better than most people have learned to overcome rejection because it's, it's literally like people look at it like it's a failure and it's just not, it's just, it's part, it's, it's like the, it's like the, the price of admission. It's just the entry fee. Like you're going to be rejected. There's no if, ands or buts about it. Not everybody's going to think that your idea is great. Not even if your idea is great, even if you have a world changing idea, like you're going to have to go through some garbage in the beginning and go through a bunch of no's while you're trying to test it and validate it and get people on board to see the vision that you see. You know what I mean? Like so even someone like a Jeff Bezos who seemingly had a, a business model that you look at now and you go, no, duh, of course, as soon as the internet was invented, the future of shopping was going to be online. Of course that was going to happen. But when he started it, Nobody saw that. Nobody had that experience like we do now. That we don't. We don't. We don't. We didn't have that hindsight back then. Obviously, that's what's called hindsight. So, uh, Jeff Bezos had to go through a ton of rejection, 
and uh, be willing to withstand it for a lot longer than the majority of people are willing to withstand it. But you know, that obviously paid out, paid off pretty, pretty well for him in the long run. And yeah, I think you, that's across the board for everybody that you, that you look at or look up to or admire. Yeah. You think Sears would have been the company that would have been best suited to jump into the internet, right? <laughs> right. Right. Or like blockbuster with online movies, you know, like they were, they were holding on to the, to the past, but you see a company like Netflix come up. How many people told Netflix at the beginning, like, oh, this isn't going to work. You're going to, you're going to do what? You're going to ship DVDs to people? Like, no, like at the time I would have said no, because I enjoyed the ritual of going to Blockbuster and like, it was like part of the night. You know what I mean? Like you go, you go to dinner and then you go to Blockbuster and you like walk around, you pick out a movie. Like it was like part of the thing is like, I don't want DVDs delivered to my house. They found people who did want that. They made enough money to get it to the point to where the internet finally caught up that they could start doing streaming services and start licensing, you know, content like the way that they did. And then, you know, the rest is history, but they had to go through a ton of rejection to get to the point where they were even a sustainable business model, let alone like to get to the point now where they're, you know, a media monster. Absolutely. Well, it's crazy how much it's changed, how marketing works, right? Because obviously marketing used to be the, you know, four big networks and we sell television commercials and, and and now their model was to create television shows to just keep people on the on the channel and, right. and now netflix and and the the streaming models are we're just going to put so much stupid content on here that they're going to stay here yeah right <laughs> so, yeah it's pretty crazy so what 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 was the biggest value or what helped you build credibility in the beginning by far the guests that i was interviewing on my podcast um, I, I didn't want to be <clears throat> one of those people that just only paid for PR articles and stuff like that and get featured in this and that. Um, and if I did look into doing that, or if I started pitching those, those publications, I wanted them to have a reason to write about me. And I found that it was easier to capture attention with a bunch of other big names that people already knew, liked and trusted than, trying to go at it myself and establish myself as an authority. And the bottom line, to me, it came down to like self-awareness. I knew when I started my show that I had no credibility. <laughs> and I think that people, people have a hard time coming to terms with their current situation because, uh, because it, it, it means that it's it means that they're not where they want to be. And for some reason, people like convince themselves that they are where they want to be. And then, my question to them is like, okay, well, where are you going to go now? You know what I mean? Like if you, if you already feel like you've arrived in terms of where you're trying to get, then what are you, what are you going to do next? Where are you going to go next? I, I, so I just felt like I, you know, I don't think anybody's ever hundred percent self-aware, but at least I had a, a semblance of self-awareness at the time to understand that like, look, I'm just a 24 year old door to door Bible college graduate. Like if I'm trying to start creating content in the entrepreneurship business space, People aren't going to listen to me because of me. They're going to listen to me because I go out and find amazing people and ask them good questions and take my listeners along the journey with me. So I was never like positioning myself as the, as the expert or the thought leader. Like I was just the captain of the ship. You know what I mean? It's like, look, we're all headed in the same direction, destination together. Um, you're just trusting me to steer us to get there. You know what I mean? So I'm guiding the conversations. I'm asking the questions. I'm getting the guests. But at the end of the day, people weren't listening because they wanted to hear what Travis thought about things. You know, eventually that became 
the way that it is, right? People eventually wanted to hear more of my opinion, the, the more success that the, that the show found. But at the beginning, I wasn't try. I wasn't, there was no like, fake it till you make it and make everybody think you're awesome, even though you're not. It was very much like, I'm trying to become better. I'm trying to become a better version of myself. And I'm willing to admit right now that that's not where I am. So I need a lot of help. That's why I only did interviews when I first started. Nice. I do any solo shows. I only did interviews because I I wanted it to be clear to people that like, look, I'm not trying to be like the authority on this. I just want to, I just want to have conversations with people who are the authority on this and who've done extremely well using this because I wanted to learn from them too. You know what I mean? That's the thing about being self aware in that aspect is that you can um, you can ask really good, insightful, thoughtful questions because these are genuinely questions that I wanted to know the answer to so that I could apply those principles in my life and learn from them. So, um, so that was kind of the, you know, the positioning that I took from the beginning to try to earn some of that credibility. I, I love that. And, and I, I really love the, the self-awareness that you had to say that if they're breathing, then I can have them on the show at some point. And yeah. And, and I know that, you know, there's stepping stones to, to making that happen, but, but just what helped you have that realization that, um, I don't, I don't really remember like what it was that made me think that way. I just remember like challenging my belief in my head that, that it was impossible to read. Like, you know, you, you get an idea of like, man, it'd be awesome to interview that person. And then your, your, um, your limiting beliefs in your mind immediately kick in and go, oh, that's impossible. You know what I mean? Like, how would you even get in touch with them? And I started asking myself that question. I was like, okay, well, how would I get in touch with them? You know? The, the question that I think that everybody should ask themselves more often is if it were possible, what would it take? And am I willing to put in the work to get it? That's oh. the question you have to ask yourself. If, so you, if you're looking at something as if it's impossible, ask yourself the question, okay, you know, it's impossible. All right, fine. But if it were possible, how would it happen? And am I willing to take those steps to make it happen? And sometimes the answer to that second question is no. You know what I mean? Like it might be if, if you're looking at somebody like The Rock, you know, it's like you can interview The Rock. Um, you might have to pay a lot of money. You know what I mean? You might have to take 12 years to network your way into the entertainment business. But like eventually you can do it. Like, it not, like if that person has a pulse, if they're a living, breathing human being like, you know, Mark Marin interviewed Barack Obama. You know what I mean? Like Dave Portnoy interviewed Donald Trump, like sitting presidents of the United States of these like podcasters are interviewing on their show. Like it is possible to interview anybody or get in touch with anybody that you really want to get in touch with. The, the question then becomes like, how would it be possible? And then am I willing to put in the work to get there? And uh, sometimes that work is going to be, like I said, five to seven years long, or sometimes it's going to cost you a lot of money. So maybe the answer to the second question is, ah, actually, it's not that important to me. But if it is important to you and you think that it's that crucial to like you being successful in whatever it is that you want to be successful in, then maybe it's worth giving it a shot. And so when I started asking myself that question, mm -hmm. I started proving to myself that it was possible um, by getting those first few like bigger names on my show that I originally thought was, oh, man, that's, that'd be impossible to get that person. Um, but then after doing it a couple of times, it was solidified in my brain that, hey, I used to think this was impossible, but I went out and did it. So what are some other things that I also think are impossible right now? And how do I apply the same things that I learned from that last thing to this thing so that I can make this possible for me as well? 
Um, so I think it's just a matter of asking yourself that question. Like if it were possible, how would I do it? And am I willing to put in the work to get it? Nice. So what was the first time you felt like, oh, wow, it really did work? Um, the, the one that always sticks out in my brain is when I interviewed Grant Cardone, probably just because um, when I was like first starting into listening to podcasts, I listened to like four or five people. And it was John Lee Dumas, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, Tim Ferriss, and Lewis Howes. I think Jordan Harbinger was in there somewhere. I think like those are the main people that I was following at the time. And so Grant was one of those first people that I listened to a bunch. I you know one of his, read one of his books and I listened to his audio book and had learned a good amount from the stuff that he'd put out. So I, I wanted to bring him on my show. And the first time I reached out to him, I was totally ignored. Nobody on his team ever got, got back to me. Uh, but about seven months later, I reached out the same way that I reached out the first time. And instead of being ignored, I got a yes. And I got to fly out to Florida and interview him in person in the studio. In fact, they still like two, like in the last month, they've posted like six or seven clips from our interview on TikTok and YouTube shorts and stuff like that. So I know they're still repurposing and using that content. Uh, but I say, I say that I say Grant just because I think I looked up to him for a long period of time. It was one of the first ever interviews that I did in person, which I think made a difference. Um, and then, uh, and then it was like a, it was something that I could track because my initial thought was like, that's not going to be an easy interview to book. And then I reached out and turns out it wasn't an easy interview to book. Um, so I was right on that. And then I formulated a plan, worked the plan, and then it ended in success. Like that process to me was very, was very validating of like, okay, these things aren't impossible. It's just going to take a second to figure it out. And if I, if I can figure it out, probably most people aren't going to sit here and try to figure it out. Like I'm willing to figure it out, which will allow me to have results that most people aren't going to be able to get. Um, and so that, that was one that like kind of sticks out in my head the most because it was so like I, when he came on my show, I still had like 300 downloads an episode. I did not deserve quote unquote to have him on my show in terms of like my reach or my audience at the time that I, that I did. Um, but it just goes to show that like that stuff isn't the number one important thing. There's other things that contribute to people's decisions of whether or not to be on your show or do business with you or work with you in some other context. So you just got to be willing to, to get yourself in front of them. Yeah, I like that. And so really what you're talking about is building and nourishing those connections. Um, and, I, and I think that's a place where you've been a great example. Um, what's been the most important aspect of building connection? Most important aspect of building connection, I think, is finding where you can add value to the lives of other people. Um, what I tell people all, all the time on my show is your network will always increase in direct proportion to the amount of value that you can add to others. The more valuable of a person you become, the more well-networked of a person that you'll become because you'll be able to add value to more people in an easier way. Just explaining this to my wife yesterday, I was thinking about it because when I first got started in the space, uh, my version of adding value to somebody like, um, uh, since I used him before, I'll use him again, like a John Lee Dumas, who at the time was like one of the podcasts that I listened to a bunch. And he taught podcasting, which is what I wanted to do. So I wanted to get in touch with him. And um, my way of adding value at that point was paying him like 6,500 bucks to go to a weekend mastermind at his house with like four other people. So there's like five of us there, 6,500 bucks a pop. Uh, but I knew that there was only gonna be five of us there. So it wasn't like it was a webinar with 3,000 freaking people on it where I would just be lost in the noise. I knew I'd be able to kind of form that relationship. But then from there, after I paid him, I also offered, I volunteered 
for two conferences that he was speaking at to like sit in his booth at the conference and sell journals for him for free. Like I was at that time, like a pretty good salesperson comparatively to most people, especially in that type of a cold context or environment. Um, like I'd worked a ton of home shows and stuff like that for when I sold solar and water purifiers and alarms and all the other things that I sold door to door. And I trained people on it. I recruited people on it. Like I, like if I would have worked that same weekend at a home show or something like that, I could have made, you know, a five figure, I could have had a five figure weekend if I was selling the product that I could have been selling, but I volunteered my time uh, just to go stand there and have proximity to someone like John. He was in and out of the booth. We didn't even spend a ton of time together, but it was the fact that like that was me adding value to where I was top of mind whenever like something like that happened down the road. Um, and then by the way, he's now invested six figures into my software company. So all of that stuff that I did at the beginning like really ended up working out. But anyway, to, to go back to it, what, I, what my point is, is that back then I didn't have much to offer. You know what I mean? I was a 24 year old kid, not really didn't know anything in the online space, had no connections I could offer, had, you know, next to no money, had no knowledge in that world at all. So the way that I was able to add value was three full days of volunteering my time. Two days ago, um, I get a connection to a guy who has an eight figure business, uh, a lot of influence, hundreds of thousands of followers across all of his platforms, including his own email list. Um, uh, his first book sold almost a million copies. He's doing a second book, trying to get booked on some some big podcasts. And so someone connected us and uh, we that's something that we usually charge for, obviously. And so uh, I basically was just like, look, man, I've you know followed your stuff for a while. Let me just see, let me just, you know, see if I can uh, contact a couple of people for you and just make a couple connections. I mean, I don't expect you to come in and be like a full-on client of ours. I know that you're like he was only a few weeks out from his book launch. And dude, like uh, within three hours of of uh, getting that list of shows that he wanted to go on, one of the biggest shows in the space, I texted the host, told him about this guy. Within an hour, we had it on the schedule, and I texted him, was like, all right, done. That appearance would have cost him over $10,000 if he would have just like paid for it straight up. But like in less than an hour with a quick text message, I was able to make that connection for him. So this is what I mean by becoming a very long answer to this, like becoming a valuable person. But my point is in that is when I first started, I didn't have much value to offer. So the biggest thing that I could offer was my time because that's what people who are strapped for time really value is their time. But then now I can be in a conversation with a bunch of high level people and offer a quick connection that is more valuable than the three days of my time used to be. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yes. more like like that one connection is more valuable to that person than it would have been for me to volunteer three days of my time to go sell stuff for them. Like just that one connection, but it took me a quick text message because for the last four plus years in this space, I've worked on making myself more valuable on increasing my network, on growing my connections, on increasing my knowledge base, increasing the amount of value that I can add to people, which makes it easier to connect with people when you can add that much value to their lives. So, um, and by the way, that's what's gonna make people send more people over to you. You know what I mean? Like I, I did all that stuff for free and I got them on two or three other shows for free. 
but I like, I, I, I don't, we didn't make a deal. Like I didn't say like, if I do this, you have to do this for me. We didn't make a deal or anything. I just know that I trust that's going to come back to me. I know he's a good dude. He's got a reputable name in the industry. He's got a lot of great people on his side. I know if I just threw throw a little value his way, eventually it's going to come back to me. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know what, but uh, like, I just believe that's going to happen. Um, so I think that's the number one thing, man. You just always have to look uh, to find ways of how you can add value to other people. Um, and just to, as a quick aside, don't ask people how you can add value to them. That's just giving them like a homework assignment because then they'll have to go figure out, okay, well, what do I need right now? What do you do? Are you good at it? Like you're just giving them a homework assignment. Don't ask people. You have to just go find it and give it without expecting anything in return. Uh, but the more valuable of a person you are, the easier it'll be to continuously grow your connections and your network. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the great examples is, you know, funerals or, or my wife just had a huge medical trauma issue and and everybody asks, oh, what can we do? What can we do? And I like, I like how you put it. That, that's just giving you a homework assignment. And and the greatest, the, the best gift we got is somebody sent us a $300 DoorDash card because they just knew that's just the simplest way to give you a bunch of meals and and just take care of stuff without having to ask, you know, hey, what what, what can we do? How can we help? <laughs> and right. so- don't give him homework. That's that, I like that. Just Pretty homework, cool. man. Nobody wants more homework, Absolutely. especially if you're somebody that's strapped for time to begin with. Absolutely. So I know last month um, you made the decision to end um, build your network, and obviously that that's been your baby for for four years, and obviously it's it's built it's a huge following. Um, what what led to that decision? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is we decided to end it because we were just putting out a ton of content. We're putting out six episodes a week um, for the last few months of the show. And we basically got to the point where my software company was demanding more and more of my time. And so when I had a full day of interviews on my schedule, it was just an interruption to all the things that I was working on for the software. And I was just like, I can't, I can't continue to focus on the show as much, you know, with the software company. Um, so we shut it down. And then nobody knows this yet, but two weeks ago, <laughs> we were just like, man, we built this show from the ground up to, from nothing to something. So why are we just going to completely get rid of it? So, so basically what we're doing is we're going to, we're going to make, we're going to start the show back up. So the last episode was titled like build your network final episode or something like that. Um, the new episode will be titled something like, you know, JK LOL or something like that. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, exactly. Cause ultimately what we wanted to do is basically um, like I wanted to start my own show again that would allow me to focus on a bunch of on only interviews that I really, really want to do. Um, that and and then our release schedule will be a little bit less on that one. So on the new show, it'll be once a week, but we're gonna start a new show. Build your network is basically going to be acquired by Guestio. And so it'll be Guestio's like staple show of uh, reaching out, connecting to more people. And we're going to try to keep up a relatively high level of uh, output on that show and make it kind of like our volume show because we've already done 700 episodes in four years. So may as well just keep going at that cadence of like starting at three a week again. And then uh, we might bring on another host. So like my content director is going to host that show. I'll host a couple episodes every once in a while. We'll have a couple other hosts depending on uh, people that are inside of the company and things. So Building Network will be revived um, here in the next few weeks, and then we'll also be um, uh, coming out with a, a brand new show that uh, will be more of like the, uh, uh, the the interviews that I'm like super interested in doing that we'll bring onto the new show. Nice. 
got a little exclusive there. I like it. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> that's a, that, uh, it, it seemed like, wow, that's an awful lot to just turn off, right? <laughs> that's, that's where we got to, man. It was like, we put in all the hard work and right when we're about to reap a lot of the rewards, we're shutting it down. Doesn't make any sense. So, so we're not, we're going to keep right. it alive. Nice. All right. So you mentioned your wife a, a few times and, and, uh, so I just like to distract things a little bit. Um, what, uh, what, what's your favorite date? My favorite, like my favorite date that we've, that we've ever with, done with your wife. Yeah. Um, I would have to say my favorite dates aren't just like a date, like a night. It was really uh, like trips and experiences that we've done together. And it's gotten more difficult um, because of COVID, number one, and then also having kids, number two, and then traveling with kids during COVID is even worse. <laughs> uh, but we typically try to go on like at least one good trip every year. And so a couple years ago for her birthday i want to say it was her 28th birthday we uh went to europe for <clears throat> about a week and a half and it was like it was like six or seven months after we had our son so we had kind of been in the thick of it you know for that first little bit so it was a really good break we you know left our our son with my uh with my mom and then we went to europe for about a week and a half and it was her first time ever in europe it was only my second time in Europe. Uh, so we got to go to um, Paris and then went over to Switzerland and then spent some time in Ireland and then uh, headed back home. But um, that was probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite times because it was just, just the two of us and um, wasn't super stressed or anything during that time. Um, and we were able to really like relax and enjoy ourselves. So like a couple of nights on on that trip stand out to me as like some of the, you know, really fun times that we've had. Uh, but I, I would say that for sure. Cause we, we just like, we like, we like exploring. We like going places and seeing new parts of the world. Nice. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. What kicked your desire for personal growth? Back against the wall, man. I was at that point in my life, uh, you know, at, I think, I think it would have been different. I think it would have been different if I weren't married and had a mortgage like you brought up at the beginning. Um, cause if you're 22 and you're, you're single and you don't have any bills to pay and you're not sure what you're going to do with your life, you just go move back in with mom and dad for a little while and figure yeah. it out. You know what I mean? But I was at the point in my life where I was like, well, I'm not going to move back into my parents' house with my wife. And uh, even if I wanted to, I just bought a house. So <laughs> like, I can't just like leave it here. I probably could have put a renter in or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but still, it was just like not a, it was like in my mind at the time, it wasn't even an option to retreat. It was an option to only like push forward, but I didn't know where to push forward to. And I didn't have anybody in my life really at the time that I could like ask those questions to. And so I was seeking outside wisdom and uh, seeking outside counsel and advice for really the first time in my life. 
And that's what really pushed me into self-development and personal development was listening to these podcasts on the podcast. They would recommend books and then I'd go get the books and I'd listen to the audio or read the book and then learn more about that, go back, listen to the podcast. And it was just like this just insane time of saturation in my in my mind and, and shifting my mindset from you know what had been programmed to believe my whole life and reprogramming it to believe different um, different things and then taking action and furthering those beliefs. It, you know, it's like a it's like a big loop. It's like learning new information, taking action, and then you know uh, deciding what not to, to keep doing and deciding what to keep doing, and then learning more information and then taking action and then deciding what not and what to and then doing that over and over again. It's like this loop of learning and self education. And um, you know, I like what Jim Rohn said long, long time ago, which is uh, formal education will make you a living, self education will make you a fortune, mm -hmm. and. Almost, almost every successful person that I've known or talked to on my show has been deep into self-education. Um, just continuing beyond, beyond high school, beyond college, beyond any sort of formal education, continuing to educate themselves on uh, on a very consistent basis. Like those are the most successful people that I know, and it makes a lot of sense, man. Like if you read a book, you know, like it, so. Let me just pull one off of my desk here um, that I've been going through. Um, this book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's by Ben Horowitz um, from Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the most, you know, the, one of the biggest venture capital firms in the entire world. And um, it's like the the first part of the book is basically Ben's story about when he exited his, his company that he had built after working with um, uh, Mark Andreessen. I think it was on Netscape at the time. So they were working on Netscape and then um, Ben started his own company went through the ringer with that company crazy crazy stuff he was he steered it through the dot-com bubble um and took it public the year following the dot-com bubble which was there was like one-tenth of the amount of companies that went public the year after the bubble burst and he was one of those companies went public like share prices dropped immediately it was just crazy crazy story of like grit hustle and immense uh, fortitude strength and strategy uh really to stick in it ended up selling the company for 1.7 billion dollars uh a few years later and then him and mark andreessen started andreessen horowitz but what I, my point is is like this is this book is like two i think it was maybe written in 2012 2010 this book is like two decades of one of the smartest business people on the planet's things that he learned about business in like 250 260 pages it makes so much sense why people who are constantly educating themselves do better in life because they're learning from so many other people's mistakes constantly all the time. Like it, it, it has to change the way that you do things. Even if you're not somebody that like reads uh, three pages and writes down in a whole plan of how you're going to implement those things. It, like, even if you're just somebody that's just going through material, going through material, going through material, your input becomes your output. Eventually, the more you read stuff like that, the more that you're pouring the, that those things into your mind, like that, type of belief systems, the way that they talk, the way that they write, like those people, the more that you're pouring that in your mind, the more that you're going to become that type of an individual um, over over a period of time. So um, yeah, that that self-education piece uh, to me is uh, to me is a, a huge part of it. Uh, and I, I felt like I was kind of forced into it because I didn't know what else to do. But I'm, you know, really happy that I was absolutely made it made a big shift. And obviously, you made this mindset shift from this pathway of, of ministries was the only the only option to 
owning a house back against the wall, I got to, I got to figure out a new, a new strategy. And uh, I like that you, uh, the door to door sales wasn't enough, right? Like you recognize that, that this, this sales thing's good. Like I can make a living, but, but I want more. Uh, yeah. And so really I, I attributed to uh, my complete and utter laziness <laughs> to be honest with you. I'd tell people that they kind of, they're kind of like, wait, what? Um, because I work really hard, but it's, I work really hard because I want to be able to have the option of whether or not I want to work anymore. That's so and I want to have that option sooner rather than later. I don't want to wait till I'm in my seventies to have the option to stop working. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like, I work really hard right now so that in the next decade, I'll be able to make that decision to quote unquote retire. I obviously don't think I would ever retire um, but the concept of retirement to me is a flawed concept to begin with because it ties you into the rat race for 45 years. And, uh, when there's plenty of other ways to get out of the rat race to me. So yeah, for me, it was like, uh, yeah, I can, you know, make six figures a year, which, you know, most people will never do. And that's not like, that's not like it's a, a, a bad income. You know, you're like, you're definitely top 1% in the entire world. I think if you just live in America, you're 1% in the whole world. But I think you're top 5% in America if you're making a six-figure income. You're top 1% if you're like 400,000 plus or something like that. And so like, you know, this door-to-door -door sales guy making 100 grand at 22, I was like, you know, this is, this is pretty good. You know, when I walk into a room, I'm making more than the majority of the people that are in that room with me. But what I realized was the first year that I made that much money, I realized how small amount of money it was. I was just like, <laughs> "Oh no, this is not good." You know, I was like, I was idolizing this six-figure mark for for the last two or three years um, since I've been doing sales, and now that I got it, I was like, "I'm going to need a lot more money <laughs> if I want to if I want to do all the things that I want to do in life." You know, if I want to travel to the places that I want to travel to, if I want to experience the things I want to experience, if I want to live the places I want to live, drive the car I want to drive, if I want to do all of the things that I genuinely want to do, like either either I'm going to have to let go of all of the things that I want, which is an option, by the way. It's an option that you can live a happy life doing that. And I'm not ever trying to convince people to live the life that I want to live, right? But if you do want to live the life that I want to live, then I had the realization early on that six figures wasn't going to cut it. And I needed to learn how to grow that income exponentially if I wanted to live, you know, the life that I genuinely wanted to live. So, um, but yeah, I know I kind of rambled on that question, but. Oh, no, uh, it's, it's great. Yeah. So just, just to share. So I have, a, I have a BA in biblical studies as well. And, and uh, I, outside of ministry, when I left my ministry job three years ago to start my company, I basically said, I have a BA and BS and it's not good for anything else. Um, so, <laughs> uh, that's so true. But I spent 20 years in ministry being broke and being pounded with a poverty mindset. And and that's the problem. Absolutely. That right there is the problem. I don't have a problem with anybody being in ministry. Do your thing, do what you want to do and live life how you want to live life. But don't pretend that God called you to be poor. That's thank you. That's not a thing. You it's know right. what I mean? It's like, not a thing. And, yeah. and I and, and Jesus clearly says it's not a thing. Like <laughs> he says, I came to give a life and, and give it abundantly. And, and shouldn't you be maximizing your talent? If that's what you believe, shouldn't you be like trying to live life as best as you possibly can? You know what I mean? Like, isn't that your responsibility as a Christian? Like, I, to, I don't know. To me, there's so much. This is what I mean by reprogramming my mindset when I came out of it. One of the first books that I read on this was Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. And I remember re reading that book going like, man, I did not realize how horrible my relationship with money is. 
it, money's just like being married, man. Like if you have a bad relationship with it, it's not going to treat you right. Right. You know what I mean? You have to treat money right and it's going to treat you right back. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It doesn't happen the other way around. It's just like, it's just like any other relationship. You have to fix the relationship with money. If you want money to treat you well, you know what I mean? Take money on dates. You know what I mean? Treat it well. Don't waste money. Don't, don't put money into things that don't pay you money. Like don't, get into bad habits and and uh and have undisciplined spending and and things like that because that's being disrespectful to money and money when you disrespect it is going to just leave you and go find somebody who's going to treat it right you know what Absolutely. i mean it's the same thing as a relationship you got to treat it right and i didn't have that and it sounds like you were the same coming out of that oh absolutely and and love thinking grow rich the other book was wallace d waddles who was kicked out of the church because of his teachings about money and and uh and, and, and so he wrote the book right at that time after he'd been kicked out. And uh, it's just so clear that our connection to the universe and the flow of money is uh, an abundance is so important um, and, yep. and so easy to get disconnected. Like you said, you know, walking by the penny or the quarter on the ground is, is, you know, you can't say on one hand, I want all this money and then, and then walk by it and ignore it. <laughs> When it, yeah. When it's, even if it's you know just a quarter or a penny, or it's uh it, it, it's that it's that uh, vibration that you're you're putting out there, and you're right. The right. money's going to go find somebody else that's going to say, "Hey, I love you, and I'm going to exactly. take care of you." <laughs> so gonna, money's going to go find someone that'll treat it right. It always does. That's why if you took all the money in the world and separated it out to everybody equally, the same people who have it now would have it another decade. I've heard that before. I'm not sure who who originated, but it's true because they know how to. They know how to attract it. Yeah, um, and there's obviously exceptions because that's the problem is that if you if you have a broke mindset and everybody around you has a broke mindset, the leaders of the people, the leaders in those circles have to justify why they don't have any money. And so they're <laughs> going to go search for all of the bad examples of people who have money and equate money to only those people. They're going to go find the examples, the stories of the people who are trust fund babies and live a miserable life and killed themselves when they were 32 and they had all the money in the world like money doesn't solve your problems money doesn't do this money doesn't do that and it's like why don't you go find the abundance of other examples of people who came from nothing dude I, i've interviewed i don't know over 400 people probably in the last few years all, all like all of them being successful I like I could probably count on both hands the number of people that like grew up extremely privileged that made it really really well. Almost everybody else is like grew up like at best case scenario like middle class. You know what I mean? They grew up middle class. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario they're an immigrant. They came over here when they were 10. They didn't speak the language. They were dumpster diving for scraps and the food like in the dumpster. People made fun of them because they literally wore shirts that they found in the dumpster. And like now that, you know, those people are running multiple multi nine figure organizations and companies because they learned how to treat money. Like once I started seeing that this was something that happened all the time, that's when my mindset, my mindset started to shift because I was just like, look, if these other people figured it out, then I can figure it out. There you go. And that's the problem is that most people will never take the responsibility. Like they want to look at people with money and go, well, they must have had something that I didn't have because that's the only thing that would that would excuse the fact that they have money and I don't have money. They must have had some privilege. They must have had money growing up. They must have had really good parents. They must have had like they, they just make all these assumptions to make themselves feel better for not having money when instead of going out and looking like, how did you actually go get your money? And if it's like, oh, wow, you, if anybody came from a worse situation than you grew up in, which there's 
plentiful, plentiful uh, examples of that. If somebody came from a worse situation, then your excuses are out the window and you have to take responsibility. Ooh. The problem is people don't like taking responsibility because then it's all up to you. And that's a difficult pill to swallow if you don't achieve what you achieve, want to achieve in life because if it's your responsibility, then it's all on you. You know what I mean? So that's, that's a tough pill to swallow if you don't want to put in the work to see your dreams come true. It's easier just to be like, uh, it just wasn't in the cards for me. You know what I mean? Like it was for that person. They just got this and this and this and this handed to them. For me, it just, you know, wasn't in the cards, you know, maybe next life. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, that's such a disempowering way to live life. Whew, absolutely. Well, and I think, I think it might've been Zig Ziglar talks about, you know, what uh, the general person calls luck is, is really the opportunity that was created by building the relationships, adding the value, doing the work, and then recognizing yep. the opportunity when it was, when it was put, you know, put in front of you. Definition of luck, yep, is uh, preparation meeting opportunity. That's so true. And and like, I don't, I don't think you'll find a successful person, by the way, that will disagree that luck is a major contributing factor in success. Luck and timing are two big contributing factors in 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 success. The difference, but, but it doesn't come sitting on the couch. Well, exactly, exactly. The difference is that like, if I swing a baseball bat a hundred times, even though I'm not a baseball player but you give a bat to somebody else who's also not a baseball player and they swing it five times, which one of us has a higher chance of hitting a home run? <laughs> Probably me because I have more at bats. And every time I swing, maybe I'm learning something. Maybe I realize the balls come from that trajectory. Maybe if I stand like this, I can get a better leverage on the ball. Like you, you get more at bats. You have a higher chance of connecting right at that right moment, right in the sweet spot of the bat and knocking it out of the park. But if you only do it, if you only step up to the plate five times, like you better get really freaking lucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, 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 you better, you better be real. You better be like a, a prodigy or you better just get really lucky. And by the way, this happens sometimes. And this is kind of the negativity or, or the negative part of some of our media is that they'll take examples of these overnight successes because they're such amazing stories. And I can't even fault them for, for promoting these stories, but they take these big stories of like these, these um, people who did get lucky, meaning like. They built a good company. It, it was great timing. I'm not trying to take anything away from their hard work to build it, but like they got lucky because maybe it was their first or second venture. And so people see these like these blow ups, these these glow ups of these people, and then attribute their life to that. And it's like that's not the typical path to success. That's the one off. That's like the point one percent of the point one percent. The majority of the other point one percent of this country like worked really hard and took a ton of swings and uh, just kept getting better every time they swung. And eventually, they hit the ball out of the park. You look at someone like Colonel Sanders. Dude started KFC when he was like 68. You know what I mean? Like He didn't start that when he was 20. He just kept stepping up to the plate and taking swings. And eventually, he connected and connected really well. Well, I think it's part of redefining failure, right? Our culture has taught us that if you make a mistake or, or you, you strike out, that it's failure. Well, imagine if and, a baseball player quits when he strikes out because they strike yeah. out 60% of the time and right. they're still uh, a great that, player. More than that, man. Like if you, if you, if you'll swing a, if, if, if you're hitting 300, like you're good. Right. That means seven out of 10 times you're striking out. Or, or sometimes you hit it, the, uh, you know, somebody catches it in the outfield, but still, yeah, right. it's a, it's, it's, yeah, crazy numbers. And, and I don't know why our brain, it's kind of like the no, you know, the nose scenario, getting used to the nose. But my mentor taught me, yes, lives in the land of no. So if you can't hang out in the land of no, 
you're never going to find yes. That's exactly. And yes, you get lucky in that first one says yes, but then the next 10 say no and you're hate right. yourself you, again. You can't do anything about the law of averages, man. Like <laughs> that was another, another thing from Jim Rohn is, is you can't do anything about the law of averages. Like if the first one says yes, then probably the next 15 are going to say no. Um, but if you average it out over 100, you're probably going to end up around the same ratio of no's to yeses. The thing is, is once you're on, you know, the next hundred is the thousandth through eleven hundredth person to talk to. Your percentage of people that are saying yes is probably much higher than zero to a hundred was because you're getting better every time. You're getting better at pitching. You're getting better at solving the problem. You're getting better at targeting the segment of the population that is more likely to say yes because you're understanding your customer better. Like everything gets better the more swings that you take. It's just that most people quit before then because the first part's the most difficult part. I liken it to playing the guitar because when I first started playing the guitar. I literally, in my mind, I thought that like, maybe I'm just somebody that can't learn to play the guitar. Like it was really difficult. You know, like I learned on a, on an acoustic metal string guitar and like when you're first playing, I don't really play much anymore, but um, I used to play a little bit. And when, when you're first learning, uh, you don't have any calluses on your, on your fingertips. So pressing down those steel strings are like, like literally puts lines in your fingers and you can't press it down all the way. So there's buzzing when you try to strum a chord. There's just like, it's buzzing, it's clicking. It's like making all these weird sounds. You can't transition from chord to chord. It like hurts your fingers. You're like, man, this sucks. Then like three months into it, you get those calluses and you start switching a little bit better. And it's like, oh, okay, this is starting to sound like music kind of, you know what I mean? Like, but most people never make it past the calluses. Like you got to be willing to get the calluses and most people, most people won't. Well, that's why I think entrepreneurship, you know, as a science has to just be the mistakes are, are, are stepping stones. They're, they're lessons They're You know, you, like you said, you're learning your pitch, you're learning your audience, you're learning all of those things as, as you just keep putting effort. Um, I think the, the, the value of just getting started, right. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much power in just, just doing something, take action, planning it and figuring it out in the absence of clarity, take action for sure. That's one of the things I live by is an abs. Like, okay, I'm not hundred percent clear on how this is going to work out, but if you take a step in that direction, things will start to clear up a little bit along the way. Yeah. I like that. So now I know your faith experience um, was kind of an in and out option. Um, and, and obviously you made the decision to, to separate yourself, but, how does your faith impact your life and marriage? So at this point, man, uh, to be honest, we're a little bit less religious and more spiritual. Like we haven't really been to church in probably three years. Um, but we try to keep at least some sort of a connection to, uh, to a dimension that's beyond our physical selves. Um, uh, but it's more through like, you know, meditation and, gratefulness and taking in the good of life and things like that. So, uh, but we still definitely have that, that aspect in our lives that, uh, it just looks a lot different on a day-to-day -day basis at this point. Sure. You mentioned gratefulness. So how has gratitude, um, helped you and grow? I mean, it's everything, man. Uh, the, the more, like the more you achieve, the more that you begin to realize that if the achievement is the goal, you'll never be satisfied there's always another level. Like you think in your mind, like when you're making $40,000 a year, you think in your mind that like, oh, if I get to say, if I could get to six figures, life would be so much better. 
when you're making six figures, it's like, man, if I can get to seven figures, life will be so much better. If it, and you're making seven figures, like, man, if I get to eight figures, life will be so much better. Like there's always levels. And if your goal is just the achievement, it'll create a hole inside of you that you're never going to be able to fill. Mm. And so uh, practicing gratitude regularly for what you currently have, where you've been and where you've um, where you've come from, where you are now, and what you currently have um, is a, a practice that I think will help you to be able to keep that sense of uh, fulfillment and happiness throughout the entire journey. Because that's really the goal. If you can create happiness and fulfillment in the journey when things are uncertain, then um, you know life's going to be really good for you. If you if you have to be certain about everything, uh, life is is going to be like a turbulent storm. You know what I mean? It's always going to have ups and downs, and you're going to follow the ups and downs. You know, it's like being on a ship on the top of the ocean versus being a submarine. A submarine's like grounded. There could be a storm above water, but it's grounded. It's going the same distance or at the same um, elevation. Ships moving up and down with the giant, you know, ebbs and tides of life. And, and, uh, that to me is again, not a productive way to live and not a way that I intend to live my life. So practicing gratefulness on purpose, um, uh, can, in my opinion, really, really help you, uh, on those, on those types of things. So I have a reminder in my calendar to say, thank you every night when I go to sleep and every morning when I wake up, just say thank you. It's not, you don't have to sit there and like do this long drawn out prayer. You don't have to like meditate for 30 minutes if you don't have the time or don't want to, but just saying thank you. Hey, it's another day. Thank you for another day to live. Thank you for the opportunity uh, that I have to give another shot at this thing. You know what I mean? And just practicing that gratefulness and inserting it in your life now, I think is uh, something that'll keep you grounded the more you achieve and the more that you continue to grow. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, that you do that as a routine and have an alarm set. Are there other routine elements you have in your day? I typically work on like one or two things at a time because um, I find that if you, you know, if you go from like waking up at 10 o'clock and eating Cheetos and drinking beer and never going to the gym and never reading a book or like never doing anything like that, if you go from that and then the next day you're trying to wake up at five, meditate for 30 minutes, read an hour and like do all this other stuff, it's too overwhelming and uh, you, you, you're, you're, you're going to burn out really quickly. So I try to work on uh, small things at a time and uh, kind of stack those habits over the course of a few years. So that's the one that I'm currently working on um, is like I want to I have it in my a reminder right now because I need the reminder, but hopefully the more I do it, the more it'll just become a habit. Nice. So I know you intentionally, at least as you matured, build your network became a certain culture. Um, well, how would you describe the culture of, of build your network? Um, giving value is really the best way I can explain it is we try to build a community of people that are just a bunch of people that are genuinely interested in connecting with more people and trying to offer value to their lives. Um, people who think long-term and are thinking relationally instead of short-term and transactionally. And I think if we build a community of that type of those types of people, if you fast forward the clock in 10 years, that that'll, a lot of awesome things are going to come out of that. Hmm. so good so good so what do you love to do in your free time 
Uh, these days I'm golfing a lot. Yeah. So for some reason I like to torture myself once a week um, on the <laughs> golf course. Um, but, uh, it's almost like a meditative practice for me because it kind of gets me out of the house and, uh, my mind is constantly thinking about business. And so when I get on the golf course, I'm thinking about one thing and that's how much I suck at golf and it takes my mind off of business for at least a few hours on the weekend. Um, so that's, that's really been, that's really been the thing that I've, that I've been doing a lot lately. Nice. So now that you've gotten the business to the size that you have, um, how has the value of contribution been a part of your journey? In, in what sense? What do you mean? Uh, just being able to, to be more empowered to contribute. You talked about that poverty mindset, right? Like the oh, church oh, oh. for so much is, you know, we can feed, we can feed the homeless if you just give us 10 bucks, but I can feed a thousand people if I have. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's a, I th think that'll always kind of be part of our lives is contributing in that sense. We don't do like residual payments to anything or anyone, but we're always just looking for people within our circles that we can help out a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, recently a, a friend had uh, cancer. She actually recently passed and uh, uh, we were able to, we were able to help out the family, you know, during that time and, and during this time uh, uh, since she's been gone. So, you know, those are the, the types of things that it just feels good to be able to do. Like uh, we, we have the option to do it, you know, and, that, and that's, that's what money is, man. Money's freedom. It's choices. It's options. It's the ability to choose um, whether or not you, you want to help and then be able to help if you can. Um, but if you don't have that, you don't have the option. You know what I mean? So uh, I just, you never know what life's going to throw at you. And so I, I want to be fortified enough to be able to, when life throws something like that at me, that I can make a difference in other people's lives that way. Nice. I like it. So obviously now your focus is Guestio and, and you're spending a great deal of time. What brought Guestio about? Uh, it was uh, kind of scratching my own itch. To be honest, I was, you know, always looking to level up the guests that I had on my show thought there had to be a better way to do it because it's extremely difficult. And, uh, there wasn't, I looked on the market, there just wasn't. And so we decided to go ahead and build it. It was really that simple. It was just like, man, if this existed, I would use it, but it doesn't exist. So why don't we just go ahead and build it? Um, so yeah, that was, it was really just simple as that. Obviously there was more months of deciding whether or not I wanted to take that on and because it's a brand new venture in a brand new world that I've never been in before. But, um, I've learned a ton in the last few months and it's been a hell of a, of, of a journey so far even. So I'm excited to see what comes out of it. Well, it sounds to me like it's just like asking that same question. If it were possible, what would it take? Exactly. No, I'm asked that question. I don't know how, how often I ask myself that question anymore. It's just like part of what I do, but that's definitely a question that I asked. It's like, okay, is it possible? Yes. Okay. What would it take to get there? Well, it's going to take this, 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 and this. And I was like, do I want to do that? Yes, I do. The The problem with this particular thing is that uh, since I'd never done it before, there was a lot of things that I left off of the to-do list when I was trying to create the plan to go do it. You know what I mean? So that's been a learning curve to say the least, but it's been, uh, like I said, a very, very valuable experience for me. And, I, and I'm really glad that we ended up doing it. So hopefully I'll be glad that we ended up doing it in the next three to five years as well. But uh, for now, for now, it, it's been, uh, it's been a big blessing in our lives. 
And is it doing what you hoped it would do? Um, you know, so at the very beginning, again, I, I thought it was a different journey from the beginning. Um, but when I started reading a lot and consuming a lot of this new, like this new space that I was in, you know, going from coaching, podcasting courses and stuff like that to software, um, I started picking up a ton of books and materials on that industry and started realizing they're like, oh, okay. So the things that I'm experiencing right now are really all a part of this process. So um, I, we're, we're, we're on track to do better than the revenue goal that we set for 2021. Um, but uh, we got there a lot more bump, bumpily. <laughs> it was a lot more of a bumpy road than I was expecting is, is what I'll say. Um, but like I said, I, it, it's all a necessary part of the process. I, I don't think that I would go back and necessarily change a lot of what we've done. Um, but it, uh, but uh, as in terms of like the first vision I had for it, I didn't expect all of the bumps that we would have in the in the road. But I mean, that's just part of the part of the journey. Sure, but not not as far as revenue goes. But your your point was to create an opportunity to, to have better guests and to to serve podcasters with guests. Is it accomplishing that? Yeah, hundred percent. We validated that hypothesis, man. Like people are willing to pay to get good guests on their show. And then we're also building the other side of that market right now, you know, which is people are willing to pay uh, to be a guest on shows. And so we're going to try to start getting podcasters and YouTubers and bloggers, like we're going to start getting creators paid for their content uh, for people to be guests on their shows. So that's kind of like one of our new, you know, our, our, our mission for the company is access to the inaccessible. <laughs> And uh, so we're just trying to bring more access to the accessible on both sides now, uh, shows booking guests and guest booking shows, um, because we know that the, both sides are really valuable. So um, that's the big, the big, you know, problem that we're that we're solving at the moment. Nice. I saw that you can book Manny Pacquiao now. Can can <laughs> book Manny? Yeah. That's pretty yep. exciting. <laughs> and of course, all your all your loyal all your loyal friends like Johnny Lee and and Jordan are all in there as well and, and uh, they're supporting man yep they're supporting and that says a lot right that's a huge testimonial that that the guys that helped you get started are are supporting the work that you're creating 100 percent. so so what inspires travis uh my family for sure uh my kids having the kids changed everything to be honest man it just was like a big you know, realization that, uh, that I wanted, that I really wanted to accomplish some big things in life. Cause I want them to see firsthand that if you believe that you can achieve something and put in the work to go get it, that you can, that you can get there. Hmm. That's great. All right. So young entrepreneurs sitting across from Travis, get your chance to share your, your words of wisdom as you leave the table. What would you share? Uh, get started. <laughs> don't wait just get started start something on the side um you know especially young people man like you have the ability to risk so much more than than older people if you're in your 50s and you have three kids and bills and all these other things you can't take quite as many risks as you can when you're 21 and have no responsibility so take big risks and learn a lot. Don't worry about earning a bunch of money in your 20s. Just worry about learning. You know, you earn in your 20s or you learn in your 20s, you earn in your 30s, what they always say. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. Focus on learning. Focus on making yourself a more valuable person. Focus on um, sharpening certain skill sets. And don't worry about how much money you're making. Just focus on adding value, building relationships, and uh, sharpening skills. And that'll, you know, set you up really well. 
Nice. Travis, thank you so much for hanging out with me and sharing your story. I just appreciate all the wisdom that you've shared. Happy to be here, man. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Barry and Robert have a joy-filled conversation about loving others and the power of a smile. Barry is so full of energy and joy, it is hard to believe that he was paralyzed and now swims a mile a day. He is full of excitement and wisdom and wants to serve others through joy.